Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, welcome to another edition of Richard Herring's Lusterper. Um, this is one with Tiff Stevenson. There was meant to be one with Richard E. Grant this week, but uh, for, it was really good. We recorded it. It was, I'd say, top three podcasts we've ever done, but we give every guest the right to not put out the podcast, and either Richard E. Grant or his team have decided they do not want the podcast to go out, and I don't know why. Anyway, never mind. He was really lovely, and I, it can't be his fault. He's so nice. Uh, and he gave me some free perfume, as you'll, well, accidentally, as you'll see uh, at the start of this. Anyway, go to rahalasper.co.uk uh, to find out more about the podcast. Go to richterring.com slash gigs to find out if I'm coming anywhere near to you. It's worth coming to see it live, just in case the guest decides not to put it out. I'm not angry. Please welcome my next guest. It's Rahalastafa with Tiff Stevenson. Hope you enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who, like last week's guest, has just released his own fragrance. <laughs> it's Richard Herring. <laughs> Hooray! I did it. I did the joke. <laughs> I did the joke. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Richard... <laughs> Hold on. 
I've, uh, I was on the wrong page. Uh, I know what it is. Of Richard Herring's long, strong... <laughs> would have been better not reading it. Welcome to another episode of Richard Herring's long, strong tongue po- podcast. <laughs> It's, uh, it's every week the guests are going to have a longer tongue and it's going to be see which celebrity has the longest but also the strongest tongue. There will be a variety of uh, tongue strength tests. <laughs> but uh, I was under the dock with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John <laughs> the other day and they said if I would agree to leave them alone to make out that they would call it Rahalastopus. I don't know if that's going to... But I stayed and watched anyway and nothing happened. John Travolta's making it up, I tell you. So, um, last week guest uh, Richard E. Grant, I don't know if you uh, were here for that one. Yeah, yeah, sorry, you missed him. Um, he has, um, he's brought out his own uh, fragrance called Jack, and he accidentally left this behind. He didn't give it to me. I think if that's 95 quid for that, that is fucking taking the piss. Look like, at the size of that, I thought you'd get a fucking two litre bottle, like a, like a diet Pepsi. For 95, you expected more than that, wouldn't you, Andy? Yeah. I've got some on. Shall I, I'll, I'll waft it at these people here, see if they're like, it's Rina. Oh, look, you want... Yeah. This is like Richard E. Grant's personal stash. What do you think? It's nice, isn't it? I'm going to keep that. <laughs> I mean, like, we could... I know I could get it back to his agent really easily, but he's got loads of the fucking stuff, isn't it? It's not, it doesn't cost him 95 quid, does he? He gets it for free. Uh, so thank you for that, Richard E. Grant. I don't think it was a deliberate gift, but I will accept it anyway. <laughs> I hope this week's guest has brought me as lovely uh, a gift as well. Uh, she is probably best known as Montana Mounds <laughs> in Footballers Wives TV. Don't know what that is. Let's find out. Will you please welcome the amazing Tiff Stevenson, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> welcome. How are you doing? Look at that Prosecco. I'm good. (laughs) Look at all of this merch. I know, it's it's insane. Wow, there's stickers, there's everything. I just said to um, Richard E. Grant backstage that he'd come out and been really funny and charming and that wasn't his job and it was a bit of a dick move. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm the professional funny person. I'm not sure, do you think he took it okay? I think he was all right. Fine, okay. He seemed to just about ride the storm of me being rude to him for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gave as good as he got. I think he was... I think he enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He looked like he was... Huh? He, he loved, loved it. it. He loved it. <laughs> Dapper laughs is in the crowd. <laughs> was he also moist <laughs> with his own fragrance? Um, nice, the fragrance, isn't it? It's, not, it's got marijuana I, I in it. I didn't smell it. Can I have a... Yeah. Well, it's, I don't... I think it's probably about 10 quid a spray, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, Are you so going to charge take I'll, it out I'll of take me? It, I'll take it out of you. <laughs> And that's his personal one as well. I mean, it's bold. I've put it straight on my wrist. Oh, it's nice. It it's is manly. Nice. Well, it it's is a bit manly. Uni- it's for unisex. Me. It's unisex. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit too tobacco y for. I mean, women smoke, sure. Um, <laughs> it just, yeah, it's, got, it's, quite, it's quite mannish for okay. me. Right. But it's got some citrusy notes, which I do like. I like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start buying it and wearing it around. Just get, when well, you waft into a room, yeah. everyone's there's herring, <laughs> S- smelling of marijuana again. <laughs> um. nice. So, what was football? Everyone knows you from it. Footballers' wives <laughs> TV was that? Was that not Footballers' wives? Is it? Different? It wasn't Footballers' wives. It, Footballers' wives TV was a spin-off, and I'm surprised they allowed 
you know, uh, I think it was Shed Productions to make it because Shed Productions made Footballer's Wife. Wives, wife. <laughs> that would have been a different show. Um, just a documentary following Victoria Beckham. No, it, it, it was... Um, they made Footballer's Wives. And this was like a piss take of Footballer's Wives made by the people that made Footballer's Wives. So it was kind of like a daytime TV sort of Richard and Judy. <gasps> imagine. Imagine making a show like that, a spoof Richard and Judy show. Um, so it was kind of like a spoof daytime TV show where God, there were lots of people in it. I feel like um, Catherine... God, I was going to say Catherine Parkinson, but it's not Catherine Parkinson. There was a few... Uh, Matt Green was also in it. So it had, like, the usual experts you would get in daytime TV. And I played a character called Montana Mounds, who was like a plastic surgery obsessive. And I was doing a... A sponsored... We came up with this. It's so stupid. A sponsored fun run to... I'd had a boob job, but I could only afford to get one done. So I was trying to raise the money for the other tier. That was the that was the joke. So I had like one massive boot, and I sat on this sofa being interviewed. And then one of the other ones had my entire face marked up for plastic surgery with the signature of the surgeon on it, because it was like the whole point of surgery is that people know you've had it done. You know, I want everyone to know I'm having a Clive Eastwood. And this was so ahead of its time because that's basically what the Kardashians do now. They just put their Instagram videos up when they're going in having hamsters piss shot into their lips and broadcast it to the world. So it's actually, it was very ahead of its time. It was. I mean, too ahead of its time, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But I was watching, I rewatched The Office the other day, the whole, the sitcom The Office, and I was surprised to see little Tiff Stevenson pop up in there. I know. Because I don't think the last time I watched it, I didn't know you. So I must have watched it a long time ago, and then there you were. I was so young and skinny. (laughs) And, um, oh, I remember... uh, Here's a great story about this that I can share. Um, Because I've worked with Ash Ashtiller since, so hopefully he'll hire me again. But originally I auditioned for a different part in that. This happens to me a lot. I go in and they go, she's good, but... mm, We don't see her as that, so then I go back and do something else. So I originally auditioned, I think the character was called Donna, played by Sally Breton. Oh, yeah. And Sally and I used to go up for a lot of the same parts. She doesn't know it, but I fucking hate her. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. She's lovely and she's really talented. I, I mean, that much more talented than me? I don't know. Um, it's a matter of opinion. No, we used to go up for a lot of the same jobs. Um, and she had dark hair at the time. I was blonde because I've mainly been blonde. Um, but uh, so there was a few. There was another show called Absolute Power, which I think I auditioned for. She got the part and then I did an episode. So she was, the, she was definitely the bride and I was sort of the bridesmaid in these scenarios. But who's winning now? Who's in Leicester Square Theatre on this podcast now, Sally? Sally. <laughs> me um so yeah so i think originally i went up for the part of donna um did a good audition they were like they just offered me this other part and my agent at the time i used to be with this woman called janet malone and she spoke like this and i remember she used to call me up about auditions say darling what is it that you're doing what is it you want to do because you're doing an acting (laughs) <laughs> and acting you're doing an acting but you're, also, you're writing now do you want to do stand up comedy I don't understand darling also drop the double barreled name because everyone thinks you're well to do and you're fucking not um, so yeah so that was so originally she said we don't take this part it's too small you know and look the small roles that's all you'll ever be offered so don't do it 
Um, and I went, oh, but I think the script's really funny. And I sort of want to do, I think this is going to be a phenomenon. And I was right. And then I think I earned more money than, <laughs> than I've ever earned from doing anything else. I'm in it for such a short period of time. Um, but I would get, these were back in the days, you'd get residual checks in the post. And once a check turned up for about 10 grand and I nearly fainted. <laughs> like just out of the blue. Like I don't think, I, I wouldn't have got paid anywhere near that to do the show. So, uh, you know, it was, um, it was great in lots of ways. But originally they asked me to do a scene. This was the story that I, should, that I don't know if I'm allowed to tell, but I'm going to. Um, is that on set, they wanted someone, they wanted like Ralph Innocent's character uh, who, who played Finchie. They wanted him to bang someone over a car bonnet. And I was so young when I did this show. I was, I'm probably about like 20, 21. And so they came over to me, like Ash and some of the other producers, and they went, so we just think it'd be really funny if he like fucks you over a car bonnet. <laughs> and I went, I don't think so. <laughs> so I was doing the snogging scene, and I was like, I don't think so. No, I, I, I don't want to do that. It's not in the script, and so no. And I got the courage to say that. And then they literally went along to the next actress <laughs> and went, do you want to be banged over a car bonnet? And, and she went, no. Like, so it was, like, it wasn't like my acting was so amazing she could really take a rogering on a car bonnet. She was like, she's got the skills for it. So, um, so that was a little moment where I, I, like, stood up for myself, and I was quite proud at the time. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Um, well, you'd say you were sort of started out as, a, as an actor before you became a stand-up. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen you in... I'm, I'm sort of still doing it, so that's awkward. Um... <laughs> I mean, but you were just an actor before you yes, did Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, you were in a Dizzy Rascal video. I didn't know that either. I found that today. <laughs> Dirty Cash. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was my friend Wiz. I mean, I got, music video directors have stupid names. Know that, like, you know, Spike or Wiz, or Squid. I mean, that's, they're, they're not real names. And he just asked, would I come and do this video? And he was going to put suffragettes in it, and it was, they were going to be, have Karl Marx's ashes and all kinds of weird <laughs> stuff, which they do. And it was, it was a remake of Dirty, Dirty Cash, the Stevie G song. You know, the one that goes, money talks. And then I had to lip sync, because I didn't get to sing, even though I can, which is annoying. Um, so I had to sort of lip sync and lead this parade going through the streets while, while Dizzy sort of danced around amongst us and there was someone dressed up as representing capitalism, Ronald McDonald. I'd, I'd, I feel like the director's vision was confused. <laughs> um, but it was cool. It was cool to be in, in the video. Yeah. I was, I'm very, very excited to know you in the office. Well, Dizzy Rascal, I didn't know these things about you when I met you. Yeah, I just sort of... You kept them secret. Yeah, I should I should start opening with it at gigs. Yeah, <laughs> should put from the office on, <laughs> on your face. You wouldn't believe how much that is. I I was just in LA and uh, this happened to me. So they because the office just ends up being the one thing on your CV, and I'm like, it's the smallest thing I've ever done. So people always bring it up, and I was at the Improv in LA, and Craig Robinson was there, who's in the American Office, um, and who's who also plays the Pontiac bandit in Brooklyn Nine-Nine which is yes that's my favourite character of his but someone introduced us backstage like well not backstage it's just a bit you sit up the back and went this is Tiff she was in the UK office and you're in the American office and he's like hey and he's like do you sing and I was like yeah a bit and he's like what do you, what do you sing and I was like oh I do this thing where I, I do Stevie Nicks turning into Cartman <laughs> 
And he was like, cool. And then he got up on stage. He did like 15 minutes. And so he was like, Tiff Stevenson's here. And you could tell like literally not a single person in the audience at the improv. I was like, this is excuse- excruciating. She's in the UK office. And then he got me up to sing with him. And that was, that's one of those things where you go, this would only happen in LA. This is batshit. Do the Cartman thing now. I want to hear it. You know, okay. All right. Um, okay. Now here you go again, you say you want your freedom, but who am I to bring you down? It's only right that you should lean away with me. Have you any dreams you'd like to share? Dreams of loneliness, like a happy dreams you made. And the stillness of remembering what you have and what you lost and what you have and what you know. You're right, you are a good singer. It's, so, it's such a stupid thing. And it's so stupid, but I, I used to preface it with a whole bit about how like, she had quite a rock and roll lifestyle while she was in. And I think that's what did it, you know, because there's all kinds of rumours around, um, around what they used to get up to at that time. I mean, if I could go back to a period in time, I'd like to be in that sort of dressing room just when, like, Stevie Nicks was with Don Henley from the Eagles, when it was all kind of like... And that fleet would... That moment, I think, would be... You'd love to be a fly on the wall. Not a fly, you'd get swatted. Just be in the room. <laughs> just be there. Just be in the room, yeah, like, as a what human. What are you doing here? Get out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that fly's all right. We're not worried about that fly, yeah. <laughs> stay. So you, one of the first stand-up things you did... was it? Well, you started doing stand-up in, sort of in the 2000s, right? About 2006. Yeah, because I met you around about that time. Um, but you did... Well, it was a bit after that. Then Show Me the Funny, was that sort of about... That 2011. Yeah, so you Can't been... believe it doesn't instantly come up for you, Rich. Yeah, so I should remember. It seems a landmark like moment. It's, 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 so there was a, 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 a talent show uh, of comedians, basically. Do you yeah. Remember, do people remember this? Yeah. That guy, yes, yeah. One person, one that person. is. And one person Very damning now. for ITV. Um, yeah, 2000. We all auditioned for it. I mean, it was kind of like mad at the time. Like, there were a lot of people who went up for it, and then there was a weird thing of like, it looked like I might be the only woman in the car, and I was like, I don't want to do it if I'm the only woman. Um, and at the time, I just sort of saw it as a a fun challenge, a thing to to sort of. You know, and then I heard comedians, other comedians talking about it, and that's a bit devastating when you hear people's opinions of like, why would you do that? You know, and I was like, you don't know what other opportunities I was getting offered at the time. <laughs> so like I chose to do a thing that I thought I would do quite well on. So, um, but it was, it was sort of crazy. I feel like it was a shame because it was a missed opportunity in that they didn't know what the show was. It was sort of half The Apprentice. It was sort of a bit like X Factor. But it wasn't really... Because all the comics were pro-comics and the one mistake they made, I think, was never showing any of the comics being good before they introduced us. But genuinely, these were all people who made a living doing stand-up. Maybe with the exception of Ellie, it might have only been going six months, maybe. Yeah. Like, yeah, like Ellie, Ellie was like really new at that point and did really well on the show. But I think like... Or maybe she'd been doing it a year, but mostly everyone on it was making money from doing stand-up. And 
what they could have done was gone. These are why we picked these 10 comics and showed like a couple of minutes of everyone doing really well just to get the goodwill in the room. You know, we'd, you, you need a couple of laughs early doors, yeah. as we saw. So, you know, you just need that to get everyone behind it. And so I felt like uh, there's still people who watch that who come to my tour shows and stuff, and I'm very grateful for them. And I, I had fun. It was a nice experience for me. But was but... it a bit like... They, I did a show called uh, Best Man Speech, which I know a lot of people out here love. Uh, <laughs> and it was just... But it felt like a bit thrown to get... You know, it sounded like you were going to help people to write Best Man Speech, and they got a comedian in. And it's, you say, oh, that sounds like quite an interesting idea. But then they just did sort of stunts that didn't really... Sort of impro stunts with these guys that didn't really in any way help. <laughs> but they were just meant to be good TV, like a guy had to pretend he'd broken both his arms and persuade passers-by to help him make a phone call, you know. And yeah. you go, this isn't any help for being the best man. <laughs> this is not going to help. I kind of thought this might be cool. You know, there was no mentoring. There was no sitting down and working out how to do a best man speech. It was just a load of stupid things. And then they did a best man speech at the end. But it was a bit like that, wasn't it? You had to do... You had yeah, to perform I, in odd places. And... We had to perform in odd places like right Liverpool. Material, yeah. uh, no, we no. The Liverpool gig was great. What we had to do was weird tasks, like find someone called Michelle in Liverpool because of the Beatles song. So it was just comics wandering around. Going, Michelle, Mish, is there a Michelle? Is there a... like so? It was like, and you didn't get to see half the stuff that was fun. Like we went to meet this woman who who had a restaurant, and we talked to her about making scouse. You know, like in, and and those kind of fun bits. We were in a hair salon for one of them, and me and Ellie went off and had our feet nibbled by those creepy fish. You know, like they didn't show any of the those kind of bits. Um, so it was, or any of the bits where we were all sat backstage just shooting the shit because comics are funny when they're together. So that was one of the funny things when we're sort of ripping each other a little bit or everyone's getting pissed off with Cole or, you know, <laughs> annoyed at Patrick for overrunning relentlessly <laughs> in a televised competition. But it's fine, whatever. Um, so, you know, like, though, you kind of, like, sort of missed all the fun of that, really. So that, that was a shame, I think. Um, but obviously Stu was in it as well, and Stu's, you know, Stu's done well out of it. Ellie's done really well out of it, you know, and I... I think... Well, I think you'd have all done well anyway. You know, I don't think it... It's always just a risk doing those things. Well, it's like going into the jungle or doing anything like that. It's just the weighing up the risk of the, the good it can bring well, you versus the bad it can bring you. Well, do you think it was that risky, though? Because it's a show about being fun. Like, the yeah, point yeah. was being funny. In the jungle, it's like, how well can you handle eating testicles? Which, as yeah. we found out from Richard E. Grant, pretty well. Um, <laughs> but the point of this show, it didn't seem like that risky to do it because I was like, oh, you know... Yeah. Um, although some people... Just beha- like someone said to me, what I loved about that show was that everyone is exactly how you expected them to be. So comics on the circuit, comics that did watch it and loved it, was like Cole was exactly how we expected him to be, or like Patrick was. You know, everyone was pretty much themselves on it. Yeah. yeah. So, but I didn't think it seemed that risky at the time. But you know, with hindsight, would I do it again? Actually, I would because you know what? I played for the final. We did the Apollo. And that got watched by something like, you know, four million people live. And that was quite exciting to do that. And we got paid a fair chunk of money to do that. And we went on a little tour after. So it was, it was a good learning experience yeah, for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, stand, you've, been do, you know, you've been doing stand-up now for the, so like a decade or a bit more, decade and a half. Yeah, 13 really. years. Yeah, yeah, so it's 
you know, it's a, it's a really hard thing to get into now. It's a really hard thing to get your head above that parapet and get people to see you. So it's there's so much competition now, which when I started, there wasn't. You know, there, is, there was maybe 50 comics who would go to Edinburgh when I started. And now you go to Edinburgh, there's a 1,000 comics in Edinburgh. Yeah. So you've got to find your way to, to stand out. And, you know, and I know you've talked about this a lot, but, you know, there's... there's you, you, you were involved in... Uh, we had London Hughes on the other week who was talking about how her uh, travel show with uh, Whoopi Goldberg didn't get greenlit. Yes. And you, you, you were quite vociferous about, <laughs> about how there's a lot of male-led travel shows and there aren't very many uh, female-led travel shows. Well, there any. was one, Sue Perkins. Yeah. Of comics, of comics. And then people kept messaging me saying, Joanna Lumley. And I'm like, but is she a comic? No. Judith and Chalmers. Judith Chalmers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But literally, that's what I was getting. And I often, actually, I do wonder if I spoke like Joanna Lumley, I'd have a life like Joanna. I do wonder that. Then maybe I could be in a hot spring with some monkeys. How lovely. Um, but uh, I feel like... I feel, I, I feel like it was one of those things where I just... Every now and then, an inequality... Someone's really enjoying Joanna. <laughs> Can't let that go. Someone in the dark has made it sound vaguely creepy. Um, how lovely. Uh, so I think there's something... I, I, I... <laughs> might be a monkey, I think. I mean, be a monkey thing. Net last, something for me. <laughs> um, if I see an inequality I speak up about it, and then I'm like, sometimes that probably costs me you know, there is a cost to being the one who shouts about a thing and then you shout about it and then they go, shit, we better sort that out, but don't give it to her because she wouldn't fucking shut up about it. You know, so sometimes I do wonder if there, if that, if there is a cost. Like, I had a, a show that we pitched with sort of Mira Sayal, which was just, you know, first up going to Frida Kahlo's Blue House in Mexico and then just following interesting women around the world. Like, and, um, and I was like, I, I know loads of people who would like to watch that. And Mira's really interesting and funny. And I just thought that perspective is not really shown. Women have very different travel experiences to men. Like, we know that. That's not, you know, we've seen every version of man travelling that is possible to, to do. <laughs> so how about just a few women? That was all that we saw. And I know in America, for late night, a lot of the female comics felt like that. They were like, you've got five jimmies before <laughs> you'll give a woman a go. Um, and then you'll start shipping them in from the UK. Like, when are you going to give a, a woman a shot at late night? So I just, I think that the more diverse it is, the more interesting it is. That's all it is. It's as simple as that. Like, even on a panel show, the basics say, if you've got four white men of the same age, of the same background and sexuality, that, the, like, their opinions are going to... It's, it's hege, hegemonical, is that the word I'm that looking for? That sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know like it just it's just not as interesting whereas all of a sudden you throw another voice in and it's you know I did a mock the week with Angela Barnes and that was the first time I've been on that show with another woman and guess what we didn't have one single joke that was the same because we're not the same people but like the idea of having two of us is if we're going to sync up and like sync <laughs> <laughs> the get more cushions in like I don't know like what do they think is going to happen? I don't know. I, it just, it, it, it's frustrating. And then I feel like if you're not, if there's women coming through now, what hope is there for them if we're not there kind of shouting, going, make this better, guys. Come on, try a bit harder. And it's taking too long. It is, yeah, it is. It is. 
I mean, I think, I mean, you know, and this is me only looking for a, a positive this, and I completely agree with you. I think if you have to struggle to get somewhere, if you have to, if you have to fight to get somewhere, I think you become better at what you do. And, you know, and that's the only positive of it, I think, is that, that I think there are now a hell of a lot of re- very, very strong female comedians, partly because you just have to keep on battering at the door and you have to get better and better. And if you have to be better than a, an equivalent male comedian would be to get on TV then hopefully in the end that will, you know, even tip things the other way. I mean, it's not much of a... Yeah. It's, it's not much of a... <laughs> oh, but I do think that we have to be undeniable. We have to be undeniable. And I think sometimes what happens, and this is one of the only sort of plus sides, is that the men get arrested development, so they don't get to grow. If they get their chances really early, some of the younger male comics, that then don't sort of explorers comics they get success with this one thing then they have other people writing for them and we all know those comics yeah. you know all their material ends up getting written they're on tv you don't really know what their voice is or their point of view or what they're passionate about but you know they they become big and that way they're the the creativity of it and the art of it and everything else doesn't really get to grow so from that point of view being held back sometimes just forces you into like kind of finding all the ways that you can make it work yeah, and I saw you in an interview talking about how, you know, it's, it's a lot of comedians will sit back and complain, a lot of male comedians will sit back and complain about not being on TV, but they're not going out and writing new sets, they're not going out to Edinburgh and trying new stuff. They've got their stuff that works in the clubs, maybe, and then they, they're not expanding beyond that. Yeah, there so was a comedy store person that I was sort of chatting to, comedy store comic, who was like, I wouldn't go and spunk my money in Edinburgh. And I was like, cool. I mean, you'll never be one of the greats. <laughs> and that didn't go down well um, but I believe that I mean sure fine carry on doing what you do if you're happy with this then great but like you'll never be one of the greats unless you've gone in and done that going in doing the hour every night doing the hour when two people turn up and it's like having sex with someone that you've fallen out of love with and you're like this is happening but neither of us wants it you know like like those experiences are the experiences that shape you and and make you a great comedian. So sure, doing, you know, ripping it at the, at the store in front of 400 people is nice and it's great, but, you know, it, that you'll never, you, you'll never be one of the greats if that's the only way you want to do it. I used to have a joke about um, when people complain about equality because there was like, you know, it's, I said it's easier, you know, now being a, a female comic because, you know, they used to have one of us on a panel show at a time, uh, two on the radio if one's a lesbian. And... Um, <laughs> And then people would say, oh, like, because the new head of the BBC, I think, had just, this was a few years back, was a woman. And people were going, it's PC gone mad, it's PC gone mad. And I was like, it's not. It's just, you know, statistically, she's less likely to be a paedophile. <laughs> <laughs> and they can't afford any more of those in television. So, you know. And I, the reason I thought about that the other day is because of all these sort of pop stars now. <laughs> like, we're retrospect as if we didn't know Michael Jackson was creepy. Like, but we are sort of coming out going, oh, God, R. Kelly, Michael Jackson, you know. And I'm, like, how about just giving some love to the women that have had none of, haven't been accused of rape or touching kids? That would be, you know. So just from that reason alone, <laughs> just sort of fill it up with some more women. You've got less chance of going, this thing happened in the 80s. And then there was an NDA. <laughs> you're, you're a bird watcher I am yeah. <laughs> what a segue Richard 
I'm a little bit of a twitcher. In yeah. fact, there was a bird, and I, d- <laughs> I just just as I got back to the house tonight, there was a bird outside the house, and I swear it was saying boobies. And then my fiance went, "Do you reckon it was a it was a blue tit?" Um, <laughs> but it was uh, it was like boobies. Boobies, boobies. I was trying to work out what it was, um, but I like birds of prey. So yes, I do like. If I'm if I'm driving along the A40, I'll often see the red kites, and then my other half will panic and go, "Could you not like drive whilst <laughs> you know, like I've been doing like and there's why like, I get overexcited. Like I once called an owl a fat prick because I got really overexcited. <laughs> I saw it in a tree and I was like, "Look at that fat prick." <laughs> Really excited. <laughs> I like the fact they can turn their heads as well. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would say I am a Twitcher, but like not in a way that would professionally. Um, I, I was. Got anything talk- to say about this, mate? Not can- she's not canon. <laughs> that's not a proper bird watcher. Birds of prey. No, not interested in that. Um, I did. Uh, I did. <laughs> I did say to Ed Byrne when I was tour support for him, I was like, oh, I, um, I quite enjoy a bit of twitching. And he went out the next day and bought like these £2,000 binoculars that no one knew how to use. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went and sat in a hide and like pretended that we... There's a hen harrier. Like I spotted a couple, but it was, you know... It's, it's a thankless task, so sometimes it's easier to just look up pictures of ones you like on the internet and go, <laughs> that's good, isn't it? <laughs> Get a canary. Go there, there's one. I could have I, it in a cage. There's I a bird. I can't do that because my cat would like rip it to shreds. And my cat is. I gave my cat a pep talk the other day. Am I weird? I feel like I'm too mean to him a lot of the time. So the other day I was like, oh, you're a good cat. You're good. You're good at stalking and hunting and trotting. He trots along. Let's call him Leon Trotsky. Trots, I, you're, good, you're a good boy. Very good at hunting. Yes, and you, when you get those mice and you kill them, you're very good. And then I realised it's kind of like giving a pep talk to a serial killer, really, isn't it? Like, what am I doing? But I felt bad. Because <laughs> I'm mean to him a lot. It's all right. Well, you're in a safe environment here. You're not the maddest person on this stage. It's okay. <laughs> I, I should point out, like, when I say mean, I'm not abusive to my cat. <laughs> if anything, my cat is abusive to me. Like, as in, that I caught him cheating on me. I saw him in the window of someone else's house. I'd gone for a jog and I came back and there he was, sat on their windowsill. And then he rolled over on his back like I was... I knew it, right, because his breath smelled of tuna. And we only feed him dry food. So he's been going elsewhere to get the sweet, wet tuna... That's what happens if you're, if you're holding, holding out at home. Those cats are going to go. <laughs> they go elsewhere. They go elsewhere for The vet fish. said dry was better. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what's, I was making a horrible sex joke in my head. And then, but the vet said dry food is what's helped because he's, he's chunked out. Like, I don't want to fat shame him. But a few weeks back, he was sat on a post in the garden and he was just spilling over it. Like, he'd really underestimated arse to fence post ratio. And he just, yeah, he was... um... But he's also just... He'll smack you. He's a real dick. Is he? Yeah. Have you got a cat? I've got a cat. We used to have two. Well, we used to have... We've actually lost uh, one this week. 
Um, you know, like, t- to death. <laughs> I was about to say. No, we haven't just know. displaced it. But it was, it was sort of ours, but it wasn't ours. We had two uh, in, in London, and one of those had to be put down for just not being pretty enough. Uh, and, and, no, she was lovely. She was lovely, but she unfortunately... Uh, we, we adopted two cats from uh, Batsy Dogs and Cats Homes, but they, they, were both, they were both really lovely, but they'd been bred into bread and were, you know... Um, had problems. Smithers, I mean, if I'd still the white one's still alive. Smithers, Lino was the one I liked, who's who's dead. Lino, Lino, like because she had like a lion's mane. Yeah. Um, and I wish that Smithers had died. <laughs> then when we moved, uh, if I had to choose, if I had to choose between the two, if I could have them both alive, that's fine. But if one of them had to die, Smithers, no question, no, no thinking about it. I've done the same with my kids. It's fine. <laughs> Just be prepared. <laughs> when we moved house, the people who were buying the house from said, we've got a cat with the house, but we can't take it to the new house. Do you want to have the cat or we'll have to have it put down? Wow, that's not really so... a choice, is it? <laughs> so, uh, so we but t- weird that they put that on you, <laughs> yeah. rather than going, we're horrible murdering <laughs> bastards. So we said we'd take the cat. It seemed quite nice, but then it was really freaked out by everyone moving. I and mean, we had loads of work, building work done in the house. So we gave the cat to our my, my parents-in-law to look after, and they ended up looking after that cat. So it was kind of our cat. But then when the vet rang up and said the cat has to be put down, I go, yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a cat I don't know that we've kept alive for two extra years. So, you know, in a way, am I a hero? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Not all heroes wear capes. For literally doing nothing. So I've got one cat called Smithers and he's a dick. Right, so he's a dick. Is he an outdoor cat? He started going outdoors, now we're in the countryside. So he was completely indoors, except for one time when he just jumped out of a window. (laughs) And luckily there was a kind of roof that he then landed on and fell off. He just took a punt and thought, let's see what happens if I jump out of the window. He's stupid. Uh, with he's zero very, agility by the sounds stupid. of it. So he literally jumped onto the kitchen roof and fell onto the floor. Uh, but now he's still, we've got a cat flap in the house. He goes, he goes out into the mm. garden. My cat has taken to waiting for me to open the door. Again, I think it's a weight thing because he can't... He can, but he just doesn't want to. So he'll just... He can get in and out because when we're not there, he does it. But he's a right little fucking... You know, he's at it like... <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, and then I've got to go and open the door and let him out. And he... Is he also bring, just bring dead things back? Because most no, cats... No, no. Oh, and he's you not, live in the he's country He's not agile as well. enough to get anything. See, mine brought back once. Um, I'd been away for a few days and uh, my mum had been in to look on him and then obviously not, like, got it the day before. But I went to the living room and I was like, what is that smell? And he had got a rat... And it was hidden under the table. And I had a bit of a panic. I didn't know what to do because the other half was away. So I didn't want to move it. So I just lit some candles around it. (laughs) (laughs) Like a weird Santeria kind of (laughs) sacrifice. And then my friend Paul Byrne had to come around and just kind of dispose of it. But it was really, I was like, I won't deal with that. I just, which is sort of how everything happens in my house. If I spill a thing, I go, and then my other half go, fucking hell, it's like living with a child. (laughs) Just do the thing. Could you not just clean that up? We have one of those little hoovers because he's six a lot. He's long haired. And so sometimes we'll, you you go, please, anywhere but the carpet. And then you've got to get it 
You can't get a rat into one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, liquid, liquefy it. And, but yeah, you forget that they're just, they're predators and they just, I mean, there was one time he brought a starling in. I think it was a starling. And it was, it was actually April Fool's Day about, four, Paul, can you confirm how many years ago? No. Okay. <laughs> I you're there talking you to the dead then. Paul, I'm getting a Paul. <laughs> I can hear him too. Did that, that sums up our relationship. Did you hear just how fucking stoic and Scottish that was? Don't bring me in. Just do your little fucking story. Can, um, you, <laughs> can you guess how many years ago it was, Paul? Four, maybe? Four. Oh, so okay, so about so, He responds yeah. to blokes. This yeah. <laughs> Like a BBC commissioner. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so we were we were in bed and we he woke up screaming, and I thought someone was being stabbed, and it was so because like coming around, like waking up but not being awake, just hearing screams. Yeah. So I started screaming. So I woke up screaming and there was something else screaming and it was a starling that the cat had bought it, had it in his mouth. So that, so that was obviously what triggered Paul screaming. So it was out this, ah! So he woke up and then there's just like three of us screaming and the cat just drops the birds like, what? Like, and it was like, I thought it was going to have a heart attack. It was actually horrific. And then Paul had to like, it was in a bad, he had to pan its head in anyway. Um, which... <laughs> Because it wasn't going to survive. And there's a real... Did it have to be a pan? <laughs> <laughs> I, there's a real, there's a real like, nonchalance which he has. And I think that's being a country Scottish boy that he's just like, just deals with it. And I cannot, like, my city girlness just cannot handle. He's just like, right, I'll deal with this. <sighs> I mean, it was necessary, but did you have to look like that nonchalant about it? You know, like... Uh, maybe if he lets that get to him, he can. He wouldn't wouldn't be able to do it. But it's just um... birds are the worst. Though we've had birds in the house because they used to come down the chimneys in our new house, but we've had them blocked up now, so they can't just put caps on, so they can't get down. But we had like three or four times birds got in. One of them got in while we weren't living there and died in the attic. So I just had to take it. But they, they're it's, they're scarier dead than they are alive. They're scarier alive as well. But like, yeah, to, I was, I had to pick up this crow, and then you just think it's gonna come. You know, you think it's gonna come alive and get you. Yeah, and it's just like you touch it, it goes. Ah, ah. So I managed to get that one down. We had to, at least two that have been flying around the house. Is there a word for bird phobia? Someone yeah, it's bird bird phobia. <laughs> it's, sure. it's aviophobia. I'm just making that up, Rich. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I thought someone might know ornophobia, maybe. Oh. No. Okay. <laughs> Does anyone know the word for bird phobia? Wow, they're thick. They got thicker, my audience. <laughs> As this has gone on. In the first couple of series, you just said that five people would have shouted out. Yeah, okay. Someone would have at least, this guy's going to go and look it up. <laughs> Maybe he's afraid of people talking about being afraid of birds. That's the, that's, that's the real phobia. Do you think that's probably Hitchcock that's done that? Did no, they? they're fucking cre- They're scary as fuck. They're dinosaurs. They're little tiny dinosaurs in your house. Get back to the Neolithic times. Also, I had my car, because I, I got a convertible. Ooh. Um, the other day, there was a shit on it, and I swear it must have been a pterodactyl. 
Like the size of it, the, the volume, it was... I was like, how has this come out of the sky out of a thing? I don't know how... Might have been a squirrel. Squirrels do big shits. Do they? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, I haven't really they're... looked into it. <laughs> but it didn't chart. look like... It wasn't round. They'd be like little pellets, right? Squirrel shits would be like pellets. This was like white... Like wheat, a bixie white. It was like the consistency was thick. Yeah, it was. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to pass it under the squirrels. But I'd like to go around to female comedians' houses and put shit on their convertible. <laughs> That's what you get for taking my space on Mock the Week. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. <laughs> hey, you're in Game Face, which I love. It's a fantastic uh, sitcom. Yes. With Roisin. Roisin. And you play, like, the ex, the new girlfriend of her ex. Yeah, for those of you that haven't or seen wife, it, now it? we'll have sport it for you. But, um, <laughs> no, but actually, quite quite a lot of... Speaking of bird shit, I get shit on... Oh, it's true, yeah. <laughs> the opening episode do. of that. There's, I fall over, I get shit on... I embarrassed myself and I, eventually I turned around to Roshi and I was like, mate, what did I do? Yeah. Because she wrote it like sort of with me in mind. So, but yeah, we're just about to start filming the second series actually. Great. I'm on it this week. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's so great. Roshin just has this brilliant way of, of writing that is, it's really, really funny, but you also care. You really care about the characters. And she kind of reversed some of those tropes as well. You know, the idea that the wacky things happen to her character. She went, no, I'm going to put this all on the ex's new wife. So I'm the one that's constantly sort of fucking up. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, she's a genius. She's great. It's good. Well, I'm glad there's another series of that. Do you know when, when will that be out? Is that coming out? Uh, I think it's coming out August, September. Okay, that's good. Um, but, uh, but I can't be sure. I mean, it's been a little while since we did the last one. But I think, if anything, I look younger. So 
<laughs> be fine. Uh, yes. I mean, I've actually, I think Channel 4 has like commissioned like a bunch of women actually so that's quite exciting there's lots of new sitcoms and stuff coming out from female comics which that feels like a positive step forward i guess i think well they're definitely you know obviously fleabag and well catastrophes yeah with uh, sharon's been doing great work with stuff as well yeah i mean i think it may be you know again i think it's 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 it suits maybe the, the female uh comedians the you know Just trying to stop myself saying something stupid, uh, but you know it, it suits that kind of the the, the 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 way females comedians' minds work. You know, irrational and no. It's, it's <laughs> just trying to think of a, a good way of saying this. Where Do you it mean like, like a dick. narrative comedy? Well, I mean? think you know, it's just like I think panel shows are kind of harder for. Uh, for female comedians to get into as they are because it's that sort of male combative thing which women can do but I, th- I but I think the chat the radio four panel shows are generally more chatty and you know and less combative and I think in, in getting something that allows a character to develop I suppose is what I'm saying yeah I, I think you know it isn't just about gag 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 any of the, any of these things they're very funny it's more shows. nuanced yes and I think, like a lot, you know, a lot of those kind of male comedians couldn't write a sitcom. I think. No, but they still get given them. <laughs> um, like, literally, this is like there's been a whole. There was a whole thing at ITV, wasn't there, recently, where they went, "We're male skewed and we're not commissioning anything." And I think they're really trying now, driving to get people behind the camera and writing. And but I just think the the opportunities need to, for development early doors. You know, before I ever did stand up, I wrote a script and we made a little taster. But after that, no one went. How can we develop Tiffany as a writer how can we push her further along this path and maybe into writing and directing you know and I'm, I'm actually I'm writing on a thing at the moment which is quite a big Hollywood project which I'm not allowed to talk about because I've been very much NDA'd up to the taint um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's the first time I've written for someone that's not me and that's quite exciting you know and I've got my own pictures and things going out there but like it's taken me to this point in my life to get the opportunities I think that the guys were just sort of getting in their 20s which is I guess bittersweet I don't know I go oh it's great I'm I'm really pleased that it's happening but I am still frustrated that that's how long it's taken to get to yeah. Just to get the things that you know, script writing deals or whatever, or develop. A lot of the time, sometimes sitcoms are developed for male comics that haven't necessarily said they want to act or can do narrative writing, and they just give them <laughs> to them. So I feel like. Um, but I think you know. I think a lot of it's the problem with uh, commissioning is that you know all the time I've been writing sitcoms again largely unsuccessfully <laughs> to get them on. You know, people are tr- you write something and they go, "Can we get this star in it? Can we get this person who's successful in something else?" And you kind of go, "Everything that's good, that's not how it works. They've cast the right person and then it's better. You know, you don't go, "Let's put this person in this sitcom." Yes. You, you write a sitcom and then get let's get the best actor to be the person in the sitcom. So you know, and I guess the thing is, it's easy. And the danger is, someone looks. Well, you got flea, you got flea bag now. What are you worried about? You know. So that's the yeah. But hopefully, the hopefully the lesson will be actually all these things are coming out. You know, that, that are that are far superior to the stuff that's been been put been put out before. Uh, and hopefully, the lesson is let's widen the brief and, and look for good writers. As you know, as much as anything. But, but female writers as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, those would be the positive steps. I'm having a lot of meetings, but, you know, I've just been in LA, so meetings really are, you know, what do they mean? Someone will spend a bit of time <laughs> with you. That doesn't necessarily mean something will happen. But 
like last year, I think I tried to get away a few. I didn't do Edinburgh last year, and I was sort of working on. I I did a project with Gemma Arterton, and we made these kind of like videos. And in fact, Mira was in them, and uh, people like Lizzie Kaplan. We made these little video, and I was sort of getting stuff away that I had kind of written and co-directed and stuff like that. And that was exciting but then trying to get a couple of other things over the line that they just got almost to that point and then didn't happen. And then actually towards the tail end of the year and this year, like everything's like kind of gone. But as you know, as someone who does this, I don't know how interesting this is. It's not particularly (laughs) funny, but you have to have about five plates spinning in the hope that you can keep one of them going and the rest might fall off. But, you know, sometimes you'll be like, if all of these come off, I'm fucked. Um... (laughs) Um, and then you go, well, at least one of them. And then sometimes you go, oh, no, not one. Not one. That got through to almost the final round of commissioning at Radio 4. Or, yeah, we want to make a pilot. And then a week before, nah, actually, no. You know, so yeah. so actually, possibly there, there's a benefit now, I guess, at least to being of the female persuasion that <laughs> it might actually tip it towards towards going but I, ju- I just don't understand how it can be taking so long I just don't the thing is it's so difficult for anyone right it is difficult for everyone I think and I'm not I'm not trying to, to take down what you're saying because you're absolutely right but it's there's a lot of competition there's increasingly a huge amount of competition the tragedy is you get something on now and nobody watches it anyway you know you can get something made and nobody's watching it yes you can get three series or something and no one knows it exists sort of you know that really in the compared to the old days where five million people would watch a show you know yeah. there's, there's, you can easily have a have a long-running sitcom that 95 percent of the world have know nothing about I think the exciting thing is now is that you're able to create your own ways into doing things and having a podcast or, you know, going, I'm just going to go away and write this thing and put it on somewhere myself or, you know, um, and the Edinburgh Fringe has changed now in the way that you can do that as well. And it's much more accessible because the other thing that I have a chip on my shoulder about, so less of a chip, more of a baked potato, is classism. (laughs) You know, like how working class people are able to get into the arts and how unaccessible it is for a lot of people, especially stuff like the Edinburgh Fringe, when you can come out owing £12,000. And most people, unless their parents are loaded, cannot do that. So I do think that with the internet and with these kind of like free fringe venues opening and stuff or pay what you want fringe it's it that it's kind of open that out in the best possible way because that's the only way you can get a meritocracy and that's what fucks me off when people talk about meritocracy comedy should be a meritocracy but it can't ever until the playing field is equal to start with and it's not equal there are benefits if you went to the right school. There are benefits if you come from money and you can afford to keep doing it for six or seven years without it actually paying off because your parents are fucking loaded. Like, so it's not equal to start. So until we have an equal playing field, then true meritocracy can happen. Then it will just be about who's the funniest, who's the best. We give them shows. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely true. I mean, that 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 thing about people, the, the having the money and having the parents of money is definitely what's happening you know because it's too expensive to come and move to a city and do it you know now whereas again in the 90s it, I, I had my rent was 60 pounds a week and i could get a job and have 60 pounds to myself for the week you know, and, and, was, and you probably and kind of came that. out of edinburgh with a bit of money anyway no but it was you, know, <laughs> you, lost, you lost a couple of grand maybe in those days but also because there was because there were so few comedians comparatively, you had a pretty good chance of getting a job that would earn £2,000 in the year, you know. So you would... But, you know, I certainly, like, 
the first 10 years of my career, I broke even. I was, I'd managed to put down a deposit on a flat by the, you know, by the 10th year. Um, and it was possible to buy a flat in those days in London. Uh, but, uh, you know, it took 10 years to get to that point. And that was quick still compared to most people. So it's, 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 it's got a lot worse, but partly because more people are getting into it. People think you can make millions of pounds a year out of it. And, you know, it's, it's, for most people, that's not the case. No, I don't, even, I don't even know how you would start anymore. Like, that's the, they do all these weird things, whether you do a minute of stand-up. Someone was telling me the other night, um, they were working on the door of, a, of a, one of the clubs in the West End, and they were saying, like, I've done a little bit, but I'm trying to get back into it. I want to go on this show where I do a minute, and then judges tear it apart. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like the only thing they had like that, when I started, I think, was the gong show at the store. Yeah which I did, which you had to get up and you, was it three or five minutes? And if you didn't get gonged off, then you would go through to the final and also not get paid. Uh, but, like, but now I just the, the opportunities are sort of reduced. But then on the other side is if you want to be a comedian, you can be putting out your little Instagram videos, YouTube yeah. and whatever else. Start building your own audience that way. In fact, it's more democratic from that point of view than it's ever been because people will go and you can have a podcast and it can be so niche. It can just be about like categorizing which type of bird shit is on the top of your car <laughs> and millions of people will be interested enough to listen yeah. to that. I can't see anyone doing anything like that. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that sounds crazy. And you can start up your own club and you've been involved, uh, you didn't start it, but you've been involved quite from the early days in Old Rope, which is a yeah. fantastic... Again, a new material night, which encourage, you know, you're encouraged to do new material. There's a rope that hangs down that you, you have to hang on to if you're doing old material. You're not meant to be doing old material. And so that's at every Monday you've been doing that for, again, a long time. Probably about it? ten years, yeah, yeah. 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 So if you're going out and creating new material and, and learning... You know, you've improved so much. You were always, you always had something there, but your stand-up is like so much better than it was. <laughs> You're like so much better, you know, like that. But that's yeah. it was good to start with. But it's, but you found who you are, you know, and so it's and and it's just it's more. I think that you were taking a lot of chances when I first saw you, trying lots of different things. Yeah, and especially in that, you know, I've seen your old rope, and that is a new material. Like, and so you'd be taking chances, some of the stuff's not going to hit, but now I think your hit rate of taking chances is, 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 is way, way higher, you know. Well, thanks. Um, but um, I think it's also about kind of being me on stage. It was interesting, I watched the Gary Shandling documentary recently, and he said a thing which I've sort of been saying for years. I'm like, it just doesn't really matter what I'm saying. If they buy me, then they'll buy the material. And by they, I mean you, filthy audience. Uh, no, but like, if, if, if I'm just me, if I'm being me, and that version of me, it, it does matter what I'm saying, because I want to do stuff that's interesting, funny, groundbreaking, challenging, all of that, right? But if I'm being the most version of me, and that only comes with time and doing it, and from taking risks, because... Every time you fail, that's a massive leap forward. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a really important way of looking at it. And I remember seeing people like Paul Foot, I think, when I first started doing Old Rope, and I never saw anyone fly harder or die harder than Paul Foot. <laughs> like, he'd come out with an idea, and I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? And then he'd do three minutes on the moistness of cake... And how it had it own, its, its own precipitation system within the cake. <laughs> and how your host would be upset if you didn't mention... It's very moist. And it was just... And I can't do it justice because I'm not Paul, but 
like it it was so so funny but i would also see him do stuff that was so terrible but i i think you can only be amazing if you're willing to risk it not working at all and i guess that it's it was a hindrance and a help when i first started doing it because i probably had eyes on me when i was very yeah but, and it's the same thing you know you're exactly right paul foot could do that and people weren't going oh it's because he's a man he's not you know so you yeah you, you immediately have that expectation that people you are aware people are kind of going okay you're gonna have to, have to impress me because i'm not sure and so you're taking those chances they can go yes see, i was right whereas with paul foot he would just carry on and no one would say that you get the benefit of of the doubt that's what i used to say about it like as a woman you'd have to go out and within about 30 seconds to a minute you'd have to and it's not like this now but you'd have to hit especially in the club gigs within the first minute if you didn't say something great then they would be like no whereas most of the guys would come on and you'd be three four minutes grace before people would go shit get off (laughs) you know whereas for, for women there was definitely this kind of I feel like a I feel like it's changed a lot actually in a in a positive way. I feel like so many more there was always women coming out to see comedy, but I feel like now like women are coming out and they want to see their lives. They want to hear stuff that they can relate to. And that doesn't mean my comedy isn't for men because it is, you know, like love my dick. But um <laughs> but you know, like I I I um it's it's I think it's nice. I think that's like in the last few years there's been a real thing of like I know at the comedy store, for example, that if there's not a woman on the bill, it gets bought up. So yeah. even Don, who used to run strip clubs, <laughs> like that's that's where you have to kind of remember where the comedy store started is now like, should we get some women on the bill? Because people want to see that and like, otherwise it might affect money. Like, and, and it has, sometimes it has to be like, that's a capitalist. It has yeah. to be almost like to be proven to to work in that sort of way, you know. But I think that he needs to see that, that people, the audience are requesting it and that they're into it. And then he'll be like, oh. And I think they had an all-female bill, actually, at the Comedy Store for yeah, International did, yeah. Women's Day. Yeah. One day a year is fine. So... <laughs> One day a year. As long as it's not on International Men's Day. As when long is as that, Rich? As long as they'll have a whole group of men on it. They would never do that, would they? Never have all men. They wouldn't be allowed... They wouldn't even be allowed to have the day. That was sterling work, by the way. <laughs> oh, it's just so annoying. <laughs> but you raised a fuck ton of money. I know, well, that's the only good thing about it. <laughs> it's the terrible thing about it because I have to carry on doing it now. Yeah, you're so, locked into it forever. So, it's, so hor- it's so horrible. The last year, when the first year we raised money for it, it actually felt really good. And then this year it was back to, oh, this is just horrible. It's so... It's just digging you're locked in. into a relationship with people who yeah, don't know how to do people. basic Google, and just well, and just worse people. Everything the people who do it are, are just the worst. It's <laughs> I enjoy it. I, lo- I love just being an annoyance. It's lucky in it. What? Thank- Shut up! <laughs> don't need your approval. <laughs> the, the people at the back are being very mouthy, aren't they? <laughs> no. Well done. Well done. <laughs> that's all I wanted, mate. That's all I wanted. Sorry, I feel like I've been like serious and really good. Was, was really funny. And it's, the world has turned upside down. Has, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I haven't caught. I, I did say to Rich backstage, if I'd have caught like a producer director knocking one out on set, it would be a very different <laughs> tone to the story. <laughs> I think it would have quite the same. 
joie de vivre about it. <laughs> um, right, look, I'll ask you, let's ask some emergency questions. Okay. See what comes up. It'll be something disgusting. I don't know, just, there aren't hardly any disgusting questions in here, but they all say, seem to... What's your favourite anagram? Oh, uh, what's my favourite anagram? So, so tell just what's my, my favourite word? No, what your favourite anagram? My favourite word anagram is car, horse and orchestra and an anagram of each other. Oh. Oh, I did... Oh, I've got a story about anagrams. Yeah. I once did... I got into... I've been trolled by the uh, MAGA hats and the... Pepe frogs and stuff because I did a tweet. Candice Owens said something about like feminism was cancer or something. Did some tweet. It was sort of about the Brett Kavanaugh thing and was like they're ruining everything and men aren't allowed to be men. And I quote tweeted it and said, um, uh, "Candice Owens is actually an anagram of internalized misogyny." <laughs> and the replies of people going, "You don't understand what an anagram is." <laughs> you don't understand what a joke is so that's the problem there like someone said something like um, like, oh god what was it like spaceman someone sent me an example of an anagram and I just sent it back with you're a whatever Um, like it it was so childish but yes I got and then she tweeted me back and everyone was like you're owned you're one of those jealous feminists that never got any attention so therefore you turn on a pretty woman and I was like actually self-identify as a 10 so that's awkward um (laughs) Been in a dizzy rascal video. But also, I actually got a lot of attention from men. That's partly the reason I'm a feminist because I'm like, (laughs) fucking, get your dick away from me, mate. I don't want it pressing into my back on the tube. So that, but uh, yeah, so there's my anagram story. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Worked out well. Have you ever seen a ghost? Have I ever seen a ghost? I feel like I have, but I was very young, so I probably didn't. I probably just imagined it. But I definitely saw someone hovering at the end of my bed. Again, sounds like another Me Too story. I kind of wish... I, I used to have a routine about this, but I always wish, like, when people talk about ghosts, it's always someone who died in, like, 1606 or something. It's always, like, headless horsewoman or something. It's never someone who died in 1990, pilled up at a rave. Just glow-sticking at the end of your bed. <laughs> like, that's... Because people die in all kinds of ways. You just never see the people that die in that sort of way. So that's why I don't believe. Yeah. That when they do a Most Haunted and they have the raver on. (laughs) Or they have your cat that was just the one that you didn't like. Like There must be a... Apparently in America, like I came up with this as an idea for a comedy character on a little Radio 4 skit, that I had this woman called Brenda who was a pet psychic. And she would get in touch with, like, your dead hamster or a parrot or whatever. And then I had people doing, like, testimonials for pet psychics for you. And I was like, isn't that hilarious? And then when I was in L.A., there's fucking pet psychics. <laughs> of course there are. There's, every, there's a crystal shop on every street in L.A. Like, they believe in fairies and magic, and that's what makes it amazing, but it also it is batshit. The, the pet psychics. Palm readers. There's a lot of palm readers just, like, shop fronts in, in New York and L.A., just, like... Yeah, it's have you ever well, had your palm read? I have not. I, I was going to be a masturbation joke there. Okay. I just realised. Yeah, palm and red. Palm red. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's never gone red. <laughs> um, <laughs> the cock sometimes. <laughs> um, 
No, I didn't. I was, a, I was actually, I was always quite superstitious and worried about, you know, I was actually sort of quite scared because I was brought up as religious and, you know, it took a while to shake it off even though I lost my religion quite young. So I nearly went and did tarot cards a few times and then I kind of decided I was, you know, I didn't want to meddle with those sort of things, you know, which is pathetic. But now I wouldn't do it just because I think it's a waste of Fifty pounds and twenty minutes <laughs> for someone to tell me to, to someone to have a guess or what they think is going to come up next, but I, not even give me specifics. They, I was in LA and she asked me a lot of questions, and I was like, "Well, if I just tell you everything, then you're going to tell me <laughs> everything I've just told you back to me." So she was like, "I feel like you should do stand-up comedy in New York," and I was like, "Cool." <laughs> that was like, but after her finding out that I do stand-up comedy yeah. for a living, so. There wasn't really anything exciting in it, but you know, I just thought she needs the twenty quid. Let her have it. <laughs> I'm. Uh, that was like a donation, give a donation. But also, it was my friend who was with me, Elaine. She's from Boston, and she just like hold like takes no prisoners. And she was like, I'm "Not fucking watching this." Just walked off because <laughs> she was like, "It's too much bullshit." Um, so yeah, I, I've I've not seen a ghost, but. Oh, actually... Oh, apart from the hundreds well, of ghosts I've seen I've an seen. apparition. Oh, well, well, that's fine, yeah. I can understand why that didn't spring to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, the ghost. Was... I've seen like an apparition of a dead person floating around. No, 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 not, not a dead person. Okay. I, did four sh- I did four gigs on Saturday night. And what happens is, after you do your third, how Cruttenden appears... Uh, as an apparition he's definitely not dead he's most definitely alive um, and that is a great joke if you know the comedy scene just about when I started because Hal Crutton would do about eight gigs a night and he'd be like how could this work turns out it doesn't uh, just everything runs late and it's Hal sweating and panicking turning up at a show he's brilliant he's very funny but he did used to do a lot of gigs yeah well you gotta, you gotta do it. Right, we'll do one more. That's the worst stuff. You sat on Annie Lennox's knee. I did again. Uh, that was, I was very young when that happened. Uh, six or seven. My dad used to manage Wembley Stadium as a kid. Can't he get you a gig at Wembley Stadium? Probably could. Yeah. I don't think enough people would show up. <laughs> Still, be I good mean, to do it, wouldn't it? Huh? It'd still be good to do it. It would be good to just to wander around. People. Just four, four, <laughs> thanks. I get more than four inch. Jesus. Um, no, I would love to do Wembley. Actually, Paul Chowdhury did Wembley Arena recently, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. You know. So, um, if Paul Chowdhury can, uh, but no, I think I think it would it would be fun to do that. But yeah, I met, I met like Freddie Mercury, and I met like my dad did Live Aid. So I met a lot of that. I met a lot of people like that as a kid and subsequently was not very impressed by anyone. And then also my dad, like, kind of lost his job, and then all of the people that were sort of friends with us at that time just sort of disappeared. Right. Um, like, it's sort of mad. Like, my mum's from a very working-class family and Romany gypsies, um, and then my dad is my dad's family is sort of rich Scottish Presbyterians, um, so they never really should have got together, but, you know... <laughs> They're in a mixed class relationship. And um, so it's interesting. I get to see kind of both sides of that. But yeah, the the um, the thing that sort of, it, it's very telling when sort of all of a sudden someone has a position of influence or power and then people don't want to know you and you don't have that position of influence and power. May, probably made me quite jaded and cynical at a, a young age. Also, I'm not really impressed by anyone. <laughs> Although I did have a photo of Richard E. Grant backstage and I looked very overexcited. But generally, as a rule, like, 
I always like to, if I'm going to meet someone like Annie Lennox, that wouldn't have happened at seven, but I, was, I, I like to meet someone and they know who I am and what my achievements are. That's the ideal scenario. I don't want to look like some snot in the room going, <laughs> famous person. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I hope for that. So I hope when I was seven, Annie was aware that I'd done some amazing macaroni pictures. <laughs> she'd heard of my... That bit you'll probably cut out, won't you? No, was... I won't. That was, that was good. I mean, the audience disagree, so... I don't care about them. We just, we just put canned laughter over the top. <laughs> Just some my bits. <laughs> it's going well. Didn't ask me for a quote for the back of your book. I didn't. You hadn't been on the show then. Hmm. Do you want to give me a quote for the back of the book? I'll write it in. <laughs> These questions are fucking weird. <laughs> How no. about... Oh, that's Christmas. I don't want to ask you a Christmas one. I'll ask you, what is the biggest animal whose life you have saved? What a, what a lovely question. Why couldn't I ask that to Richard E. Grant? Probably, he's probably saved a leopard or something, hasn't he? In... What, in, in Swaziland? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I don't know if I've ever saved the life of an animal. Wow, you're horrible. Well, <laughs> technically I save the life of my cat every day by feeding it. Yeah, that's true. And housing it. And I saved the life of a big Scottish man by... <laughs> Have you, ever swerved, have you ever swerved to avoid a, an animal in the road? Oh, uh, a woodpecker. Really? Yep. So, oh, and a muntjac. I nearly what? There you go. Hey, there, see, go you there you go. I have like. saved. I was weirdly driving onto the North Circular near where I live at Muswell Hill, and one just like sprung out of nowhere, looked at me, and it was like black ice on the road. So I nearly smashed my car, but that little fucker was all right. It's very noble of me. Uh, in so London, yeah, mun- on the North Circular. Yeah, a muntjac. Wow. And I only recently, I really enjoy saying it because I only recently found out that's what they what they are. I just thought it was a deer, but I was like, no, it's a muntjac. They've got no tail. Right. Okay. We've got loads of deer near us. They, run, they when they're all together, it's like a river of animals running through the forest. It's beautiful, and sometimes <laughs> they run up the road as well. So they jump out. I might hit one tonight. But I've, I've killed a few. You're not, you're not allowed to uh, take them home if you kill them, but you, if you're you behind... Are you not allowed if, to...? If you're behind someone who does, you can have that. Oh, really? Yeah. Because my... Oh, because then otherwise it looks like you've hit them on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. My, my sister and my brother-in-law live in the New Forest, and I think that's what happens... That's what happens there, that if they have to sort of move... There's ponies and yeah. horses just cutting about. What I did notice is that on one side of the road, the donkey... It's like the Bloods and the Crips... The donkeys stay on one side, and the horses are on the other. I think. I think the. Um, I think it's the the donkeys are the bloods. Is that the one with the teardrop? Was that, was that the Crips? The teardrop means you've like committed a kill, or yeah. you like mime. I don't know. One of those. But the yeah. So they. But people hit deer and stuff like that. I've probably. I, I may be rescued. Oh, my mum once rescued a... I can take some reflected glory for this. She once rescued a, a hedgehog. Well, I say rescued. It was stuck behind the fridge growling. I didn't know they did that. <laughs> Went into the kitchen. I was like, is this fridge broken? It was like... Burr, 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 and there was just a hedgehog behind it. So we took it outside and we saved that hedgehog's life. How did the hedgehog get behind the fridge? Someone must have put it there shortly. I think it just... <laughs> Something my dad did because he was pissed off at my mum. Um, I guess you can I, roll them, can't you? That's the thing. They can. 
And then you just kick it and then it can go in a little crevice. I think it climbed up the steps of the back doorstep and just went... Because the back of a fridge is warm, so I presume yeah. that's why it sort of went in there to kind of huddle away or whatever. But... It's, the, it's the great irony of the fridge, isn't it? It is. You should put that on a fridge magnet. <laughs> Well, look, uh, Tiff, it's been lovely having you here. And now you have to go away because I want to drive home to run over a deer. And I'm sorry I don't have pump. any stories about directors wanking. I bet you do. Um, if you really rack your brains. Really got... Oh, God. Or ghosts. Have you had, ever seen a ghost wanking? Ghost wanking. Yeah, yeah that's not ectoplasm. <laughs> um, what's you, are you doing, Edinburgh? I am. Should I talk show? about it? Will yeah. this come out before then or not? No. I think just about, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm doing a show called Mother and I'm on at the Monkey Barrel at quarter past nine, I think, or thereabouts. And, and the poster is me pregnant with myself. Wow. Yeah, it's quite mad. Like, I'm literally giving birth to myself as a... The starting point is that none of us asked to be born, so we can at least, in this political climate of everyone disagreeing, we can all agree on none of us fucking asked to be here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's called Mother and it's going to, yeah. I mean, if I talk about it now, I'll make it sound so dry and unfunny, uh, but it'll be good, I, I promise. And come you, to tour, that. you will tour it around the country afterwards? I will tour it, and I'm going to do it in the States as well. Oh, um, wow. you. I have a cheeky little three-year visa. Yeah. Um, in- internationally known she is. <laughs> yeah not internationally renowned uh, just known internationally known uh, yeah so um, I'll be yeah I'll be touring that around and, and doing it um, yeah if it you know providing it goes well and ed- come yeah um, I'm not I'm not selling it well in any way shape or form but I do alright Edinburgh shows yeah you do fantastic you've done a few you've done four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, be 15. my ninth ninth nine Nine. Lucky number nine. That's a lot. It is a lot. And um, some people say, why? (laughs) Uh, Mainly my partner of nearly 12 years. Because he's like, can we just not go again? Uh, But I I didn't go last year. I I took Bombshell on tour and I I went. And that was was interesting. That was sort of a little bit about the left eating itself. So this this one, I I, want to talk about homelessness why it makes it sound really unfunny. Um, but it, no, there'll be good stuff. I've also got some stuff about Ben Fogel in it. Okay. So, you know, come if you're interested in homelessness and Ben Fogel um, and Jordan Peterson. Yeah, there'll be a few. There'll be a Hedgehogs few. behind fridges. Hedgehogs That's behind going fridges. In. Yeah. Good. That's going in. Yeah, straight away. All of this material from tonight. Yes, <laughs> It's going in my show. Uh, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, give a massive round of applause. Tiff Stevenson! You've been listening to Raha Lastapa with me, Rich Terring, and my guest, Tiff Stevenson. Thank you to Pest for providing this music. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre, everyone at Go Faster Strike, everyone at ACAST. The British Comedy Guide guys are pretty cool as well, I have to tell you, my friends. Thank you to my producer, who I'm indebted to. His name is Ben Walker. Thank you to me. I'm also very good in this. And I, this is the Sky for Dave Dofuzz and GoFasterStripes.com production. Go to richhang.com slash gigs to find out where my tour is heading. It's going to be lots of fun. Come along and see me. Buy your tickets quick. It's selling fast. It's in some places, not everywhere. Bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.